Hello, Dave. Welcome to the chat. How's it going? Can you hear me? I can hear you. All right, cool. Hello, everybody. You're coming in loud and clear. Perfect. Awesome. All right, how's it going? It's going good. Here's a sec. I gotta... We'll do the thing. Yeah, no worries. I, uh... Oh. <laughs> Welcome to episode two of season three on the photo chat. Welcome to photography chat with Merlin. Photography chat with Merlin. And we've got Dave Rollins, a.k.a. Sinidar, on here with us. And uh, also, I have to give him props um, for the new setup because it was your question about better audio that led me to um, investing in buying better stuff for better audio. And it, it sounds uh, significantly better. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> no problem. You know, I listen on the chat and, you know, you get what you ask My for. My cat, my cat is already meowing at the door. She's like, "You're stuck in there." <laughs> I uh, I don't get good internet in my office, uh, which is like a detached garage off the back of the house, and so I'm in the bedroom uh, doing this. <laughs> and the cat's like, "I see you there, but I can't be in there." So obviously... oh yeah, and Al Alana Alana says hi. Hi Alana. I'll I'll be sure to relay that message after this. <laughs> Definitely. So uh, I I had like a couple topics that I sorry to just like dive right on into it but um i had a couple topics that i wanted to talk about and i also laid out some of my favorite books here um in order to share with people like some if i only had a couple books to hang on to these would be the ones awesome um i mean aside from i have a whole collection of books from various photographers but uh these have been like my bread and butter and ones i've had kind of the longest i'm looking forward to hearing about the books yeah, so one of them is uh, Cape Light. I remember um, you talking about this one. Yeah, Joel Meyerowitz. Uh, exceptional book. So for anybody who hasn't uh, read that one, that's like a, an amazing book. Fred Herzog, Modern Color. Uh, exceptional book. Kodachrome Slides, which uh, is just, they're amazing. I'm blown away by the work in there. Yeah, I, um, I have a, a copy of that one. Absolutely love it. Another one here is a like college-level textbook, The Master Guide to Photography. And it does everything from history to how to develop your film to what's going on in a C41 process, an E6 slide process, how Polaroids work, um, how to do wet plate. I mean, this book covers pretty much everything, like how to build a uh, dark room under the stairs uh, in your house or in a bathroom or closet. Um, just a couple more books here, and then we can move forward from my rant here about books. But this was an interesting one. Um, it's called Read This If You Want to Take Great Photographs of People by Henry Carroll. And this was given to me as a gift, and I actually really enjoyed it. Um, even though some of the concepts in there maybe are, are somewhat basic, um, it had a lot of really good just food for thought. And I think going over the basics, like when I taught uh, drum lessons for years, and I always would just drill basics and let the, the students kind of take it in whatever direction they wanted. I feel like if you 
uh, are constantly going over the basics, even when you're first starting with cameras, like what is shutter speed and aperture and all these things and going through so that you know like what a whole stop from like f2.8 to 4, you know what I mean? 5, 6, 8, 11, 16, and down the line. I think going over those basics is great. Uh, last, last two here is uh, the Unspoiled West. And this was uh, edited by Jerome Prescott, but it's got all kinds of different photographers in there. Um, a lot of glass plate work, which is amazing. Um, and it was like $2 at Goodwill, so I, I got it. <laughs> and the last one is uh, Bill Brandt, um, Shadow and Light. It's just a great book. Awesome. So, yeah. And just one last one, The Andromeda Strain, which is not a photo book. <laughs> but a fantastic book. It was one of my favorites. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Um, So I'd like to talk to you about print. Like, why is print important to you? To me or to you? Mm -hmm. No, to you. Because I'm curious to hear, like, your side of that. Like, uh, everybody's perspective on these things is a little bit different. Well, why it's important to me is um, it's it's something tangible. It's, like, why I like Polaroids so much as well is... um, you know, with, with digital photography, mobile phones, all that kind of stuff, you know, people are taking large volumes of images that kind of go nowhere. Like, um, you know, I, I'm just as bad. Like, I had to upgrade to a 256 gig iPhone a couple of years ago because I had so many photos. And when I looked at it, it's like, you know, 35,000 photos of like what? And I'm like, oh, but I can't delete any because like, you know, maybe there's a good one in there. But it's like, how do you go through 35,000 photos? Like, it it doesn't make sense. Um, So I I like the idea of print because it's it's something tangible that you can um, pick up and hold and share. And um, you feel more connected to it than you would being like, here, check out this photo on my iPhone versus like, here, look at this photo. Um, that's, That's a big part of it. And then also like print in the sense of like books and whatnot is important because it allows us to share this medium with other people on a larger scale, such as this book by a, a fantastic photographer who, uh, who we might know. <laughs> I'm actually going to be giving away two of these today. There was oh, wow. too many. And like, I wish I could give one to everyone. There were so many comments. I, I, I put it up very simply just to have people comment on there and that would enter you in to win and I didn't anticipate I thought there'd be like two people doing it or something but there was like a hundred some odd people it was, it was pretty crazy well I'm not surprised I'm, I'm, by I'm sorry to anybody in the chat too I've not been like reading the chat or anything that's okay you don't have to worry worry about reading <laughs> the chat there I, I monitor that stuff there okay cool yeah but yeah I'm, I'm with you there in the sense that uh, a print is a tangible thing and uh, there's an intimacy to the relationship of a print, specifically a magazine and a book, because these are items that you hold. These are items that don't go on the wall, or not necessarily, but typically aren't on a wall. And so you hold them when you view them. And that's the reason that I really like making small prints, because even if you framed a small like 4 by 5 print, you may actually hold the frame and like view the object 
instead of it becoming kind of this thing that's on the wall. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, like big prints, but I think the relationship with a big print isn't necessarily as intimate, or maybe it's just when you first get it and you're just like enamored by this big print. But I feel like it's something that you're less likely to touch and hold. And, and the intimacy of holding that print is a, a big thing to me. Um, and starting out in high school, darkroom photography, if you didn't make a print, you failed. You failed that project fully because the final output was a print. So to me, then moving into the digital world, I love the digital world, but I, uh, I don't get the idea of shooting a photo just to make a JPEG. Um, I love previewing my, I do all inkjet prints for the most part at this point. But um, aside from like a preview, I don't really like the final output to be digital media. Like, if I really love a photo, I'm going to print it, like, as soon as I can. Even if it's a 4 by 5 print of it, I'm going to print it as soon as I can so I can hold it, and then it's finally real. Like, that print is finally this thing that exists. Even though I, I shoot, you know, slide, and it exists in that capacity, but I, I, I feel delicate about negatives and stuff. You don't sit there and hold your negatives uh, as opposed to a print, which I'm fine handling. Unless you're a psychopath, and then you're just like, yeah, get your fingers all over it. You're like chewing on it and stuff. (laughs) I like the way this image tastes. (laughs) You got a digital camera recently, right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. (laughs) We can go go ahead and talk about that, because I don't like the idea that, that any photographic medium is superior to another. And so the whole film versus digital thing, I think they both have such amazing applications. And I com- I completely agree with you on that. Um, it was so yeah. So I I went Fuji Gang, um, which meant that um, I had to eat a fuck ton of crow because um, it's uh, it's no secret the burning hatred I have towards Fuji for um, plethora of reasons. Um, the biggest one being their hatred of pack film. Um, but holy shit, do they make a nice digital camera? Um, I have two of them now because originally I wanted an X Pro 2 and I couldn't find an X Pro 2 at a reasonable price. And Big Head Taco, uh, aka Take, uh, was like, well, you know, the XT2 is exactly the same as the X Pro 2 from like a fundamental picture making perspective, like same processor, same sensor, all that stuff, just a different body layout. So um, I picked up an X-T2 because I found one at a really good price and then um, absolutely fell in love with, um, with the Fuji platform. Their glass is fucking amazing. Um, I really have, uh, have fallen for the 56mm um, F1.2, which is like an 85mm equivalent lens in, in 35mm. And um, it's a really long fucking lens, but um, the it just the the images I get from it just fucking blow my mind. Um, like I, t- and I that's took a, that, that, that? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but that's where that's where I feel like the differences matter, is because it's not a film stock anymore. It's a di- an imaging sensor and a processor. Yes. And, and I think all the brands uh, render things in a way that is kind of, maybe you could say comparable to like a film stock versus another film stock. 
It, absolutely. Um, so like recently, like on Monday, I did a shoot for some and first product shoot I've ever done. And um, it was really difficult. And I left feeling defeated and stupid. But I'm going to go back this following Monday um, to reshoots a couple of things after like what I learned because we ran out of time and like it was a really dim restaurant and um just very challenging lighting but I brought like I, I borrowed a friend's um Nikon D800 because I was like I don't know if like you know the Fuji is good enough to be like charging someone time for it so I need to get like a, a real camera and then I could use all of my Nikon glass that I still have because I, sh I still shoot Nikon film um, and I ended up not being happy with many of the shots that are coming out of the D800. And I was like, fuck it. I pulled out the X-T2 and started taking shots and immediately I was happier and the customer was happier with just what was coming out of the camera from the Fuji. And I was just like, well, shit, this is, uh, an interesting lesson to learn. <laughs> So like, like your point there, like, you know, different digital cameras and sensors and processors and all that, um, would be very similar to like, you know, I want to use this film stock for this project or, or that film stock. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that, uh, guys would shoot slide film back in the day and there was, you know, a number of different slide films that were available, um, especially for product stuff. And, uh, the guy that I, that owns the camera shop that I work at a couple of days a week, he uh, was telling me about how they would process them differently and match up the colors with how the product actually looked and stuff. Because, I mean, that stuff mattered heavily, how it renders a color. Um, I personally still shoot a Canon 60 from 2012 uh, for when I'm doing product photography. And it's not the highest resolution camera. It's like 20 megapixels. Um, but it gets the job done, and your lights matter more than anything. I mean, I add light to anything that I do that's product photography. Um, well, but yeah, the, the whole the, the thing is a weird, weird argument too. Well, it's all in relation to a print size, or if you needed to crop. I, I get that argument as well as if you don't shoot the frame that you want, if you shoot, you know, loose and then crop, that's that's a thing too. But I think, yeah, the resolution of these cameras has just gotten pretty ridiculous. Um, and the whole debate of film versus digital, they, they both can exist. But I think as a final output, uh, making a print, if you made a digital photo you really like, is a great way to go. And even if you just made an 8x10 and kept an album of 8x10s or 8x12s for reference of the photo, I think that that's a, a, a solid plan for your digital workflow you know to have this like physical copy of it yeah exactly um i can't i can't understand the photo just existing as zeros and ones um i enjoy my i have a ton of you know negative albums um with all my negatives and slides stored and i guess you could argue that that's it's dangerous because it can't be in a cloud i can't keep you know an extra set of negatives up in the cloud um but I just like knowing where they're at and where they're physically at and they physically still exist. And as technology evolves, especially with the camera scanning world of things, I'm curious to see where things go with that because I could digitize them again very fast uh, with another camera or with another lens or whatever, you know, different light source, a different computer program that I'm using to invert the negative that's, you know, 
some groundbreaking technology that uses liquid nitrogen injected into the computer and stuff you know <laughs> i'm i'm terrible with storing my negatives um they live in a various assortment of cardboard boxes ranging from a home depot box to some other ones but i'm a bit better with my digital storage of like all my scans and and like the digital output for my cameras and stuff like that all gets backed up into uh, Synology uh, network attached storage devices um, and then I like Synology because they also have a um, really affordable backup service in, in their own cloud where you can direct connect your storage device at home into their cloud and it auto backs up whenever you want it to um, so that if like my apartment burns to the ground and I lose everything, like my data will be somewhere safe and I can just buy another storage device and pull that back up down. Yeah, I, I worry for that because I don't have a good digital storage plan really in, in order. Aside from for uh, some of my stuff, I have some of it backed up, but I guess my thought is always that I have the negatives and stuff to, I can back the, or not back those up, excuse me, I can rescan those. Um, yeah, is this the time that you have to put into it? Oh, we got Armando. It's, it doesn't. It got, doesn't take that much time. We got Armando and Lish here with us now. What's up, guys? <laughs> I miss those guys. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it's it. I feel like the world of of portrait photography has changed significantly at this point. Um, not to say I haven't made portraits during the pandemic because I finished a book during the pandemic or the endemic i'm not sure when we're finally going to go ahead and start calling it that um i don't know if we're out of the pandemic quite yet so. well i don't think there is a getting out of it i think it's an endemic now it's just something we kind of live with and i'm i'm interested in the science of that the virus supposedly is getting uh less strong in order to uh allow itself longevity that's also a bit of a misnomer too. So like the like Oh, and I'm I'm not a scientist too. Like, so so like the argument that it's milder so it doesn't matter like, you know, it's it's a weird argument oh, and that's, because you that's know, not my be point. Like, oh, you know, like you know, AIDS is just mild now, so it's cool or no, it's just a mild case of herpes like, you know, it's I don't want either of those things in any kind of capacity. So. Well, and, and, and I, I'm not a scientist, and my point wasn't that it's less scary. It's it's probably more scary because the, the, the scientists that I've been kind of following on this are stating that it becoming less strong like that is so that it can stay around for longer. Yeah. Me, meaning endemic, like I, I'm curious to hear more conversation about and this is a photography chat so i don't want to go down too deep down that rabbit hole but but i'm curious to hear the word endemic used to describe what we're going through i'm sure it'll come up eventually i kind of feel like this is just like mother nature being pissed at us for like how we've been dicks and it's just like all right well you did this shit so here you go <laughs> yeah and for you know i'm sure a lot of portrait photographers this has been just absolutely a uh a, a bummer 
I, I think for, like, for lack not of not a better word, photographers, but just like you know, street photographers, um, like any, any kind of photographers, because anything with people, yeah, like anything that involves people in some way, shape, or form, like the rules of engagement have have changed. Like um, I just before the Omicron shit started firing up, things were feeling a bit safer, and um, I went to a, an event here in Vancouver and. Someone went to shake my hand, and it, I realized it was, like, the first stranger's hand that had been, like, outreached to me, like, fuck, I don't know, since, like, 2019. And I was like, what the fuck do I do with this? <laughs> like, do, you, do I touch them? I don't know who this person <sighs> is. Like, you know, is it is it safe to touch this stranger? <laughs> it's, it's, very, it's very weird. And, like, Lish, like... Yeah, Lish says here he hasn't shot anything since 2019. I haven't seen this fucking guy since 2019. That's a bummer. I miss that guy. Yeah, and it's uh, it's didn't we see uh, each we saw each other in 2020? That wasn't 2019. That was 2020. And what a we, trip that that well went we saw down each other right as the pandemic like exploded. Like yo, that was the last time I saw you was like the weekend San Francisco shut down because of COVID. Like man. That that was such a weird fucking weekend. Yeah, and I mean that. I think that there was a little debate going on internally of whether it was a good idea to go or not. But yeah, well, that it was a thing. Out. Like you know, Brian and Mary and I were talking about that because we split a hostel, and um, you know that night we were all kind of like talking about how we had feelings of like we shouldn't have like made the trip because it feels really irresponsible. But then ultimately we're like, this could be the last trip that we take in a very long time. So we just decided to say like, fuck it. Like it was kind of wild because like when I left Canada, there was no like restrictions at all. Like there was no like, oh, when you come back, you need to isolate and you need to do these things. Like when I left Canada, everything was copacetic. And then when I came back, they're like, you need to go home immediately and stay home for 14 days and monitor yourself. And I was like, the fuck now? <laughs> like, what happened? Well, I mean, yeah, like four it, days. it feels like that, that that's when the turd hit the fan. Like, it, yeah. if I knew what I knew now, I probably wouldn't have gone. But um, I don't think I, anyone I, got sick from, from the event, though. Like, um, no. I, I have to give props to Brian Brooks and... Daniel and, and Andy and all the guys that, that put it together, like even before the pandemic was a thing, um, they made sure there was like pretty good safety protocols in place there. Like we weren't wearing masks or anything, but they were also very good about like, you know, sanitizing and like, you know, just being relatively safe. So like, you know, I, I have to give them props for like their forward thinking pre pandemic times. Yeah. And what, what a fun day that was. Um, that was a fun day, like running for tacos because the governor <laughs> shut California down. <laughs> well, if there's a reason to run, it's tacos. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, absolutely run for tacos. <laughs> um, another one I got down here. I, I wrote down a, a number of talking points. Is is the uh, idea that photography is a community, and it's much more apparent to uh, a number of people when I say that they're like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense," but it's a uh, community and not a competition. And so, uh, to, uh, just one second there before you jump into the community thing, multiverse had a comment here saying they've wondered as well, how the pandemic has affected their work. 
they used to attend many cultural events. It was part of their interest to document them, but now they've really turned inward. Yeah, that, I could see that really have it. And they also uh, made a comment here that they've seen your work, the 4x5 specifically, with your speed graphic and Aero Ektar, but they're wondering if you've ever moved up to larger formats, such as 8x10. Uh, they haven't seen that in any of your videos. Yeah, I haven't done any 8x10, and I, I honestly stopped at 4x5, and I'm fine with it because when you move up to 8x10, the camera's, you know, obviously bigger. But the lenses become more difficult to acquire and more mm. expensive for, for the type of things that I would want. Um, and so I've just kind of stuck with 4x5, and I've got a 75mm lens, a 125, which I use the most, uh, a, uh, the 7-inch Aero Ektar, and then a 300mm uh, telephoto design lens. So it, it doesn't require as much bellows draw. And I actually shoot a lot of action sports with that telephoto as well because I like the compression of it. And nice. I just shot my first skate photo with the 75. Um, but yeah, no, to, I mean, that's a long way of me saying, no, I've never shot 8x10. Um, but I do enjoy like Fujinon uh, lenses. Those, that's the 125 I have is my favorite lens. And I've got a 75 and a 300 as well. And um, I like leaf shutter stuff because it syncs flash at all the all mm. the speeds and it's just easy to work with and um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Did, did that answer the question? I, I think that answered the question. And Yakubova Studio says I can't watch pre-pandemic movies without thinking how idiot idiotic characters are for not wearing masks. <laughs> oh yeah, I've kind of noticed that too. And also being like, whoa, what are you do? Why are you doing that? That's so sketchy. I was watching something where somebody had something on their finger and another character went over and licked that person's finger and I was just like taken back by it. Like what is what what is happening here? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, when people hug and stuff and you're like, what is do you guys not have safety protocol here? And embracing hypocrisy says with the pandemic, they felt they had to cut the community building efforts of CCC and they've been in hibernation ever since. Yeah. I can see that. And I feel like Dan says that he's a huge star of your star, a huge fan of your star trail photos. What lens are you using? I'm going to Florida for a bit to take rocket photos on his crown graphic. Use any lens. So I've used a uh, 125 millimeter Fujinon lens and I prefer to use my Aero Ektar even though the foregrounds go out of focus. Um, but I've used a Mamiya RB67 with a 90mm 3.8. Oh, there's a spider up there. Um, I've used uh, an Olympus OM-1, um, which I actually have right here, uh, with a 50mm 1.8. And I guess the, my advice to anybody doing it is to shoot either uh, wide open or just stop down one stop and that's it. Uh, let as much light in as possible. Um, nice. Yeah, star trails are, are super fun, so thank you for, for that. <laughs> How long do you usually um, run those exposures for? Oh, the longest I think I've done it was uh, 119 minutes because it was the length of um, A Life Aquatic. I watched that <laughs> movie on a portable DVD player, and then, and then when it was done, I was like, okay, well, I'm done. It's cold. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, I mean, Steve Z is good company if you're going to be out in the dark. 
Yeah, yeah. And, like, I, I guess to go to, like, a, a, a general vibe of, like, some people are saying that they, they haven't shot, uh, I remind myself of this often, and so I'll say it for other people, that photography isn't going anywhere. Yeah. I think that there's a rush to, like, make art, make art, especially because we're in a, a digital age where, like, I can see that that person put out three new photos today and then next week they'll put out three photos again and then oh they just made six posts how is this person making all this art um and i want to be making that art but it's not it's not going away it's just you know sometimes things go a little bit on the back burner and for myself sometimes it's winter oriented Hmm. i don't shoot as much during the winter but the pandemic just changed everything entirely well, and I also feel that sort of like guilt to create and guilt to be productive kind of thing are just like um, shitty byproducts of living in a capitalist society where it's like, you know, it's instilled in us that we have to do these things to hold inherent value to be like, you know, worthy of existing in in this, uh, this current time. And uh, that's kind of bullshit. Like if you don't feel like you want to pick up a camera and go take some photos that doesn't make you a piece of shit, that doesn't make you lazy, that doesn't make you, like, you know, any less worthy of existing than, than anyone else, it just means you're going through some shit and you just need to, like, go through that. Like, you know, if, if you're not feeling well, then your job is to work on feeling well. Like, not being like, oh, man, I don't feel good and I don't want to take shots and that makes me, like, epic garbage. Like, you know, it doesn't. It makes you human. Just uh, try to be kinder to yourselves. Yeah, and and I think that that's a great point of being kinder to yourself because it's an internal thing. No no other person is like, you didn't put out art, you suck. Like, you know what I mean? No other person is thinking that. We're the hardest on ourselves about all that type of stuff, you know? We, We are the hardest on ourselves, but, like, unfortunately, that internal pressure comes from external experiences where it's just like, you know, we're living in this construct where it's just like, we're we're told and we're shown that the, the like really worthy people are the people that go rise and grind and like you know do all the shit and cool great for them it's amazing that they can do that kind of stuff but also it doesn't mean you're any less of a human being because you don't do that like you know the only time you'd be less of a human being is if you like you know willfully go and hurt people and take advantage of people just because you enjoy that then you're then you would be a legitimate piece of shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, anyways, your community um, uh, comment that you were gonna. Dip yeah, into. Ph- photography is a community and not a competition. So I have uh, people will reach out and be ask any number of questions, and I'm always eager to give like a full and thorough answer when I'm when I'm able to. But most of the time, I give as much of an answer as I'm able to. And I love to share everything so openly, especially when I learn new things, or because it's constantly evolving. Photography is for myself, I mean. Um, so I feel like it's important to remember that and to reach out to other people and stuff because um, it is a community. It's an open community, and I, I share so openly because so many other people did that for myself. Um, one of the people that got me back into shooting film because I had gotten a digital camera and, and got kind of amped on that 
was uh, Travis Mort's uh, Killing Dreams on Instagram. And he's, he's in my book. Oh, um, nice. And I've always enjoyed uh, hanging out with him. He's a BMXer as well, so we've got that in common and we've got cameras in common. But he convinced me to uh, like move into the medium format. I'd only ever shot 35 millimeter at that point. And so I got a medium format, and he actually is the one who ended up selling me my speed graphic. But all of that started from a direct message, you know, reaching out. And so, you know, to other people, definitely, like, reach out. Like, even people who I assumed would never have been accessible have been accessible. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's this amazing community, and I, I, I like to push that idea that photography is a community and not a competition. So when you rule that out, the competition aspect of it, it becomes just this open space, and I really, I really love that. Not to say that there aren't people who are competitive. I'm sure that there are, but, uh, but that's not for myself, and that's not been my overwhelming experience from photography. It's been super community-oriented and just, like, lovely people. Like, I've met some of the most amazing people through photography. Yeah, and, and I, I share the same sentiment with that as well, too. Like, I, I absolutely feel that, um, you know, for the most part, there are great photographic communities because um, I wouldn't say there's like one specific community there's a lot of little ecosystems and inside of um, you know the photography world that you know a bunch of them bleed over and um, you know the, the first one I got into was the instant film community which you know those guys are amazing and um, you know from the experiences with that I, I met other other people and like you know you're quite legendary yourself, Dave. Like, you know, I, I ran into people in Toronto who are like, yeah, I reached out to him for questions about large format stuff and Dave's great. And I'm like, holy shit, I know Dave too. Like, that's, that's fucking wild. Like, they're like, oh, I've never met him. But like, yeah, I messaged him on Instagram and like, he, he like answered my questions about this stuff. Same with JP. You know, there was people in Toronto I met that, you know, JP is trading cameras with them and like they've never met, but they're mailing cameras back and forth to each other and stuff. And, you know, those are the people that I appreciate and that I like being engaged with. Um, I don't really like this subset of people who are like gatekeepers of like knowledge and, and access and things like that. Because like, you know, that was one of the things that I didn't like in when I was checking out Clubhouse for a while was that there was sometimes there was these like gatekeeper rooms where you know there's like a handful of people that are like listen to me and I will tell you all of the secrets but only a, just a little tidbit not all of it because like I know more than you and I was like oh fuck you like <laughs> that's not the kind of shit I, I want to be with like I want to be able to like you know chit chat with someone and share what I know and you know, hear, hear what they've experienced and, and what, what they know. And I mean, in the before times, it was nice to be able to do that with like, you know, a drink or some food and just like uh, hang out and like, you know, share, share adventures. And I hope that that comes back because um, that was a really beautiful part of, of the community that I've been missing a lot. I'd like to figure out a way to do uh, photography meets that are, I guess, somewhat digital because everybody would be required to bring uh, digital files, but it would be that we would all be projecting them. Um, the, it, mounted slides isn't going to be a thing like these days, but back in the day there used to be like clubs where they would get together and they would all show their mounted slides. And it just like, it makes me giddy to think about doing that. 
Like, if I could come over to your apartment and we're going to project all our slides over here, like, that make, that sounds so much fun. <laughs> so, I won't say any names because I don't want to get in trouble for sharing this story. Uh -oh. But um, a, a, a legendary photographer um, used to get invited to um, go to, like, camera clubs and, like, you know award photos like they, they would have like their year-end annual or whatever and they would get like you know someone to come in and like you know look at all the photos projected as, as you're saying and then like you know someone would win the award for the best photo and um this guy would get invited because he was he was quite famous about it or whatever and they're like oh we got this guy coming in and uh he would always bring a friend of his along to do the judging because he hated the judging because he like yeah you know, one one year it was just like they were taking photos of barns and he's like if i have to look at another fucking photo of the side of a barn i'm gonna blow my brains out like <laughs> so it's just like this is my friend he will do the judging for me i will be over here at the punch table well that sounds competition oriented I get where he's coming from, but that sounds competition oriented as opposed to just community getting together to like, you know, everybody shows 10 photos that they're really excited about that they shot recently or a long time ago. Or That would be cool. Like we, so we used to do something like that uh, with Gallery 44 and it was called Sip and Crit where um, like a handful of people, like six to 10 people would get together. It used to be in person and like, you know, you'd bring your uh, USB stick with your images or you'd email the person a Dropbox and they would have like a computer with a projector and you just go look at your photos and you could talk about it and people could kind of like make their comments about it and like uh, not necessarily judging, but just sort of like, you know, talking about like what they like about the image or um, questions about it kind of thing. And uh, those were pretty fun to be part of. I'd like to see that type of thing come back, uh, especially, uh, you know, after everything we've been through. I think it could be done safely, like outdoors someplace or something uh, in the evening time so that it's dark enough to be able to project it up onto a screen. But um, it definitely sounds like a lot of fun. I don't know. Maybe that's that's kind of neither here nor there, but that's something I'd love to see come back. And not just here, like, that's a community thing. That's something that, like, a physical community thing, not not just the, you know, Instagram community, but in your physical community, that's something I want to start here for photographers. And people could do that elsewhere, too, you know. Um, yeah. I think it kind of, you have to put a little initiative forward sometimes to get the ball rolling, you know. Um, um, Yakubova also has a question for you. Mr. Rollins, do you hold how-to lectures? The plant in a glass bottle has mesmerized me for the longest time, and I want to know how to make something this hypnotic out of household items. I, I don't really hold, like, lectures or anything. The only uh, classes or, or, like, workshop type of things I've done is through Policon. Um, and I know the photo he's talking about, it's shot on Velvia slide film. Um... And I had to really do a lot of calculations for a bellows factor because it ended up needing a couple more stops of light. Um, so there's just a lot of calculations that have to, you know, come in for something like that. And it was shot on uh, some kind of funky background. I think it was a grayish background, maybe. I, I can't really recall. No, yeah, it was... Uh, 
it was a gray paper backdrop and I had a couple gels on the different lights. So it had a few different light sources and color temperatures of light sources. I don't know why, but the chat. Uh oh, Dave did something and made his phone pause. No, that was the wrong one. Come back, Dave. We miss you. Oh. Oh, Dave has left the building. Let's see if we can get him back. Hello. Oh, your audio is not working. You might need to. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, and maybe he's just going to um, his Bluetooth. Come back, Dave. Sorry, guys, we're having some technical difficulties here. Okay, and he's left. Maybe he'll come back. Ah. Oh, here we go. Third time's the charm, right? Maybe? I don't know. Hey! Am, am I back? You're back. Welcome back. We yeah, missed you. I that was <laughs> that was totally my bad. The uh, chat wasn't updating though. Like the whole thing was glitchy and weird. I had to restart the app, and then now it's working oh, again. So, so I couldn't I couldn't updating, see those. If the chat's not updating, you have to scroll um, scroll up until you get to the bottom. Because if if you scroll to look at any comments, um, then it just stays there. So you have to like just scroll the chat until you get to the bottom. It, it only had like a few of the initial comments though. It didn't. It oh. wouldn't go. Yeah, it, it, and it may be a result of having an old phone, but <laughs> that's fair. Um, and another topic I wrote down is is uh, and and I know a lot of people aren't going to like this one um, is minimal gear uh, for more creativity. Um, I pared down and got rid of a lot of cameras and focused only on shooting an Olympus OM-1 and my uh, Speed Graphic or my Toyo field camera because. Uh, it's a Toyo half-plate camera, technically, that has a 4x5 rotating back, and it takes the same lens boards as my Pacemaker uh, Graflex camera. Oh, cool. And so uh, focusing on only two mediums, I think, is helping my photography a lot and helping focus making images. I know that that's not for everybody, but uh, that's like something that I think if you shoot... 13 cameras and I noticed this at least with myself I shot them all at like a 13th of their possibility of what mm -hmm. that camera could do 
because I didn't spend enough intimate time with that camera to learn the ins and outs. I would shoot it for a little while, be inspired, and then move to the next thing, as opposed to like, how can I push the limits of this camera in every which way? Um, and I've really specifically focused on the 4x5, but I love my, my Olympus uh, camera a lot. Yeah, you just gotta like pare it down and put some berry white on and like get to know your cameras really well. <laughs> <laughs> I JT just I just picture the, like sitting at a dinner table, you know, and my camera's got its a glass of wine over there, and we yeah. cheers, you know. Exactly, <laughs> and then you have like a nice, you know, um, snifter of cognac at the end of the night, to, like you know, cap it off. JP says though, boo, let your gas take over your soul. Well, yeah, the one the one camera I do want is I want the, uh, the Super D that I sold to him. So when when you want to sell that back to me, just let me know. <laughs> I think there's a there's a fat chance of that happening, but yeah, it'll be like you know over his dead cold body. <laughs> well, I'll give him more than than what he paid for it. I, I just I just want to get it back. Or just given the way San Francisco is right now, just wait until it's in his car sometime. <laughs> oh snap! <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I don't, know oh, I don't. I don't like the idea of that camera going into the wrong hands because no. it kind of it kind of looks like junk and would end up thrown in a dumpster or something. Yeah, that's the thing that's wild. Like, um, it's weird what people steal sometimes. Like um, when my F five got stolen, I was like, "Why would they steal a film camera?" Um, but it's because it doesn't really look like a film camera. Like it looks like. A digital camera when you're looking at it from a distance it's not until you try to use it and then you're like what the hell is this shit <laughs> <laughs> does that one have the screen on the back no it that's the f6, the f6 right which i still firmly believe is not a true f camera because it doesn't have a detachable prism and it doesn't have a built-in um hand grip on the bottom so it's it should have been the f200 not the f6 but that, okay. that's my personal opinion as an icon fanboy. What what is JP saying? Ouchie Merlin? Yeah. <laughs> what does he what does that mean? Uh, about the uh, leaving the Super D in the car. And <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Don't don't leave your, your cameras in your car. My friend yeah. Lucy just got her car stolen in San Francisco and she got what? it back five days later. Not as a result of the police, but as a result of putting a GPS on it. Oh, shit. And it somehow ended in, up in an impound lot and had poop in it. And, like, it had, like, heroin needles and stuff. Like, they had, like, camped out in the car and were doing drugs and stuff. But she got her car back. She was, like, she came into the shop and was, like, yeah, I'm going to get it detailed right now. <laughs> I, I hope by detailed... Um she was lighting it on fire and collecting insurance to buy <laughs> right <laughs> i don't know like, what, a, what a miracle to get it back you know yeah i mean i've never heard of anybody in san francisco having something stolen and getting it back i've i've nobody's told me that story until she did but i mean the poop is not surprising for san francisco because yeah, like, you guys yeah. have an app that like warns you where the most poop is in the city like you know it's yeah <laughs> you say you say you guys but i don't like being lumped in that san francisco category I'm, i feel like i'm not san francisco i love this someone someone made the comment of dirty mike and the boys had a time in there <laughs> what, what movie was that was that dirty work 
Which, it's like, you know, the hobo train was running in your car. <laughs> oh, it's too good. It's too good. Yeah, fair enough. You're, well, you're not well, in the Bay Area, so. Um. Should I, um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm technically in the Bay Area, but I'm not San Francisco. Okay, you're not San Francisco, you know, but. It, it's al- it's almost like, you know, being like, oh, yeah, I live in Los Angeles. And they're like, where do you live? You're like, well. I live out in like Riverside, California, or something like you know, somewhere that's more out, you know, and not not actually in uh, the city. Uh, I avoid San Francisco at all costs. Um, I think I'm gonna, if it's all right with you, um, I've got two books here for everybody, um, and I've got everybody's names. There's no way the light's gonna. They're all well, in you, there. You can see it in there. Yep. Uh, and so I figured I'd just pull two names from here and give away two books. I just got to stir them up. Fun fact, all of happens. the sheets say Dirty Mike on them, so. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we've got uh, Film Diary of a Redhead, Brandy B. Brandy! Oh my god, that's amazing because she wanted one so bad. Well, Congratulations, Brandy. <laughs> Also, that's All another right. person who I miss terribly. So many people to miss. I know. All right. We've got one more here. I feel like Dan. Holy shit! Congratulations, Dan! <laughs> so, uh, congratulations to the two of you. I'll be in contact on your direct message, or you can send me a direct message for getting shipping address and sending you your books. You, Thank you, you know, to everybody who gotta, entered. You've got to put an extra special love note in those ones. Oh, yeah, and they're both getting a shirt, too. So uh, What? That, that, that didn't get mentioned, but <laughs> but I'm, I'll, I'll direct message them, and they'll, they'll, it'll be a Dave's Film Lab shirt that I've, got, I've still got some. That's amazing. Congratulations to both of you guys. Yeah, how awesome. Yeah, I was really excited to do that giveaway because I had said, like, in November that I was going to give away a book or something like that. <laughs> you just reminded me I got some t-shirts in today and I haven't taken a look at them yet. So let's do uh, let's do a mail opening. Let's see. So the only problem that I have with living in Canada is that all the cool shit is in the States and shipping really sucks like they want your like firstborn child and then some for the shipping costs a lot of the time so it's like a 20 dollar item will have like 40 dollars of shipping <laughs> but let's see here these were um there's like a, a company down there that makes like um old they, they reproduce old punk shirts okay and what punk shirt did you get this was the one that i really wanted no means no wrong that's that's mr mr wrong there i like there. it no means no for those of you that don't know um are one of the oldest punk bands out there canadian punk band um they were playing well into their 60s uh they're disbanded now but um they were one of my favorite punk bands when I was a kid, and they were they were old when I was a kid. Um, I had to have pancakes with them once. That was really cool. And 
It sounds fun. Classic lag wagon shirt. Nice. Yeah, I like the I like the ape. And uh, oh yeah, alternative tentacles. So this was a, a record label. I think it's still around. It, they they do like punk stuff, but a lot of uh, No Means No's um, albums were released on alternative tentacles. So if you're a punk kid and you like t-shirts like me, um, buy Focal Media on uh, online. You can check out their stuff. They got all sorts of cool shit. For, for anybody out there, to segue to another topic, if you ever run into me, I typically have a printed portfolio on my person. So definitely ask. Hey, that's me. To see it. Yeah, there's an image of you in there. And I saw you had one of my stickers. Yeah, I have one of your stickers in the back here. That one was an accident. <laughs> Why was that an accident? Um, because Merlin was a little high when he was photoshopping and making that order. And they were supposed to be this size. Oh, and the, yeah, these are big. Yeah, this, they were, is, this is a five by seven photo album, so that's about seven inches that way. Yeah, and so when I went to pick them up, I was like, holy shit, these are fucking massive. And the guy's like, yeah, that's what you order. I'm like, no, I wanted them to be like like this. He's like, oh, well, I mean, check your measurements next time. And I was like, fuck, I thought that was the right size. Yep. Oh, that's great. If you want a Merlin sticker, send me a DM and I'll, I'll mail you a sticker and a love note. So tell me what's new with your um, your photo studio. Oh, yeah. So um, I have a photo studio. Um, it is um, in an old motel called the City Center Motel here in Vancouver on Main Street. And um, it, uh, it got sold condo developers bought them and you know long term eventually it'll get flattened for condos um but that's a couple years away and so there's uh this uh this company i think they're called disco enterprises and uh what they do <clears throat> is um they find properties that developers have purchased that um are going to be destroyed at some point, but because permitting or whatever have like, you know, several years before it's going to happen. And they make a proposal to them to say like, Hey, like let us rent the space and we'll rent it out to artists for studio space. And, uh, so this motel came up and, uh, it's a really interesting premise because I've been looking at studio spaces since I moved back to Vancouver, um, in May and the biggest prerequisite I've wanted was running water, like my own running water in the space so that I could put together a dark room. And to find that was going to cost, fuck, like at least a thousand, if not more a month, because I'd have to rent like a whole space. And I wasn't really prepared to do that. And then even like shared spaces, like I looked at some shared spaces around here that were like in the four to like $700 a month range. And I was just like, holy shit, like this is what you guys are like charging for this like that's kind of mean um so when i heard about this place um jumped at the opportunity to uh to apply for it and uh, they're working with vancouver mural fest to run this so uh, vancouver mural fest is going to have people that will be there um on site um 
they're going to be painting murals all over the, the building as well as having events there um, throughout the spring and summer, which uh, sounds really interesting. But the coolest part of it is you get a motel room, which has its own bathroom, which now I can build a dark room out of the bathroom. And the rent is um, very reasonable. Like, you know, it's uh, like 600 and change Canadian a month with utilities and, and everything all in. Um, but it was a motel room, <laughs> like, like a seedy motel room. <laughs> and, um, holy fuck was it disgusting. And mine was one of the cleaner ones, like, cause I, I was an early person that applied. So, um, I got to pick from like all of them and, um, I picked the cleanest, least moldy one that I could find. And, uh, even even that was disgusting. Like, I don't think I ever want to live somewhere that has carpet after my experience of ripping the carpet out yeah, of this place. Yeah, wood floor. It was fucking gross, man. Like, I don't know how, like, I think that carpet was from the 90s. Um, like we'll it, also consider it was, if it was a motel. It's seen some shit. Like, if, if, that, <laughs> if that carpet could talk, I would rip my ears off. Like I, w I don't want to hear what it seems. Oh, it would need it would need years of therapy. I I would need years of therapy just from <laughs> it talking to me. Like I think I need some therapy just from removing it. Um, but it was kind of weird because like it was a non-smoking room, which like those old motels is hilarious because it's just like okay, so arbitrarily at some point you decided this was going to be a non-smoking hotel, but like you know, forty years before that it was a smoking room, and you can't just delete that by saying it's non-smoking now <laughs> um so it definitely smelled like smoke when i moved in and it was gross and it was dim like it was really really like dark in there um but ripping out the carpet and the underlay and throwing out the curtains those curtains were fucking gross they were so bad um got rid of almost all the smoke smell um so i'm hoping that like once the walls are fully painted and the floor is painted and the bathroom is done that they, there won't be any, any smell left in there. But, um, I've got the first coat of paint down yesterday. I'm going to go into a, a second coat this weekend, paint the floor. Um, and then once the main area is all done, um, then I'll start working on the bathroom and, um, you know, modifying that to have a, a dark room in there and, um, yeah, it'll just kind of be nice to have another space as well. Cause, um, I live and work from home, which I'm in right now, which is a, a basement studio apartment. I think it's about 600 square feet, maybe 500. Um, and it's like, it's a fine space, but like living and working from home, it starts to feel kind of prison-y where it's just like, I live in this box all the time and I shuffle from here and I shuffle over there and then I shuffle here and <laughs> it kind of like, it'll be nice to have another place to just go to and, and do stuff. So I'll probably start recording the, uh, the chats from there once, uh, once I get the internet up and running and once I get settled in. So, um, you know, you guys will definitely be able to see the studio soon. If you're in Vancouver, um, you know, by all means come visit. Um, you know, I'm going to be, uh, 
excited to have people in there. Cause like one of the other things of like being part of this space is, um, part of the consideration was if you wanted to contribute to the community with it. So, um, like in the application, it was like, you know, would you be open to participating in open houses? Like, would you be open to doing workshops and things like that? And I was like, yeah, I'd totally be down to like, you know, participate in the open houses and to like, you know, have like dark room workshops and stuff like that in the space. So, um, I'm really curious to see where the community goes from. And I've met a couple of my neighbors and they're all pretty cool. Um, a lot of photographers. Um, one of them is a videographer as well too. Um, she shoots like 16 millimeter and stuff. So, um, it was, it was cool. It's like, you know, meet some of the neighbors and, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a really cool, cool space. And it's got a two year drop dead date so far, but, there's a pretty good likelihood that it'll get extended because something will probably happen with the permitting or something like that. So, um, at least two years, but maybe three or four. Well, it'll be nice. And especially to, um, kind of grow into a space a little bit. And then even if it did end, maybe you'll have a better idea of a, how much you actually use a space like that. And then B, like what you would really want, you know? Well, and, and the other thing too is, um, the timing of the space expiring kind of works out with my own personal expiration date for being in places. Um, I seem to, um, I seem to have a four year cycle that was established by my parents as a child. Um, and I've subconsciously followed that and never really realized it until therapy when, you know, we're unpacking all this stuff and it's just like, I, I do move every four years. It just kind of happens. <laughs> so, is, do you enjoy the move or? Um, not really, but it just like it's it's ingrained in there. Like you know, I didn't necessarily need to leave Toronto. I kind of you know missed Toronto a lot more than I expected. Um, but I just had had this weird, compelling feeling that I had to leave, and. Uh, now that I'm here, it's like, why did I leave? But, you know, fringe benefit is, um, I would have never been able to have like a studio space and explore what that adventure, um, would have been like, um, wouldn't have had an opportunity to meet some of the people that I have met here. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like as much as I miss Toronto, Vancouver's okay so far. And I think it, this space will make it more okay because um, the things that I'm missing about Toronto, I may be able to like sort of re regain from from this space. And the the light is really nice. So um, yeah, I saw you had posted a thing, and the light was kind of coming through the window. It looked really nice. Yeah, it has this beautiful afternoon light because it's kind of southwest facing. Um, so I'm on the city view side of the building, um, and. <laughs> you know, from like noon to like, you know, four or five, uh, it'll, in, in the summer, it'll be even better. Cause like, you know, the light stays a bit longer, but right now it's like, if, if it's not a cloudy day around like, you know, late noon, one o'clock to like, you know, three, four ish, it has this really nice, beautiful light in there. And I'm on this upper floor. So I don't think I'm going to have curtains cause I'm not worried about like neighbors or anything like that. Like I might put some blackout things in just for like, if I do start shooting stuff in there and I don't want to have like external light 
messing with with other shit but um I, well, and it can help on minimizing the amount of baffling that you'll need to be able to have an enlarger in your bathroom. Yeah, if that's you can, true. if you cut down on the the ambient light that's in that room, then the baffle that you need in there is like minimal. But if you have just straight light coming into the room, you really need to baffle the door in order to have it be light tight. I, I've got these like really thick blackout curtains from my old apartment in Toronto that are like the same height as the door um, so I'm just going to use those to just like cover the door down so it's like um, non-existent um, hopefully we'll, we'll see how it works uh, yeah. miss the, someone says miss the variations of Toronto winter grey no I, I don't so um, I fucking hated all of the weather in Toronto all of the time. The winters really sucked and the summers were super muggy and I learned new ways to hate my body that I didn't know were possible as a West Coaster. Um, but what I do miss of Toronto is um, the, uh, the community there. There's a very interesting creative community there and a lot of really uh, cool creative people to work with and access to film resources is, is what I miss the most. Does that um, not exist in Vancouver? There are some film resources here, um, but, you know, I've said it so many times before, Downtown Camera really spoiled the shit out of me. Like, the quality of their work, the price of their work, um just the relationship I established with them of like, you know, nearly four years of, um, of, of using the lab services there, um, is I didn't realize how good I had with, had it with them. Cause you know, it's just, I kind of took it for granted that like, you know, I could wander around downtown Toronto, uh, blast a couple rolls of film out. And if I dropped it off before like, you know, two o'clock, um, I could have the photos that day or the very worst the next day. And um, I just kind of took that for granted. So that made having film as part of my practice super easy because I could go out, I could take shots and I get my pictures back a couple of days. And um, it made it a lot easier over digital too because um, their scans are really good. I, I like the quality of their scans. Um, I've never been unhappy with like the output that I've got from them. Um, so as long as I didn't fuck up the image when I was taking it, uh, whatever they were sending me was going to be usable image almost right away. Um, versus like, you know, shooting digital. One of the things I've always hated about digital is the amount of work you have to do after you've taken the image, like going through and like, you know, sifting the, the good photos from the bad and then tweaking, um, the ones that you like to look the way you want them to like. Yeah. I just found it was a lot quicker to like, shoot film because if I wanted a certain feeling, I knew what kind of film stock to shoot. I would shoot that and I would get what I wanted without having to do anything after the fact. Um, I've gotten, may, may, sorry, maybe some, maybe someday they'll come out with SD cards and it's a 36 exposure Velvia <laughs> SD card. And you put the Velvia SD card in and you get these amazing <clears throat> vivid tones. And then you're like, wait, but I want to try the, they've got a 24 exposure SD card <laughs> and it's Portra. 
I'm going to use the Portra SD card. I wonder if that'll ever be yeah, a thing. Yeah, but the Portra SD card is going to cost $500. Um, yeah, but it's 24 <laughs> exposures, so... <laughs> um, this is probably going to hurt some people's feelings. I fucking hate 24 exposure rolls. Ah, uh, you don't process enough film then. I don't like them. Cause I no, feel but y- like... you, don't, you don't process enough film then, though. Why? Because processing a lot of film... It's easier to like squeegee the roll and hang it to dry. It's just so much easier to handle. Oh yeah, I, I don't process exposure. a lot of my own film. Like I'll probably start doing that more once I have the dark room. But um, I'm lazy. I, I also hate scanning with a burning passion. Probably more than I hate Fuji. I hate scanning. Um, I just never enjoyed it. It's not something. Well, I tw- like. twenty-four um, exposures is better in that case because it's less to deal with when you're developing it and then also when you go to scan it it's only 24 images <laughs> that's fair my problem with 24 though is when i'm paying a lab um to do it um most labs don't have a differentiating price between 36 or 24 so i feel like i'm getting like naturally ripped off with like only bringing 24 in and i'm paying the same price it would cost if i did 36 so i may as well shoot 36 and get those extra 12 photos out of uh, what about the 12 exposure roll (sighs) (laughs) this just hurt my heart (laughs) oh if if i could i would shoot nothing but i I often will shoot a roll where i shoot it like eight exposures and then cut it out of the camera pull it out make a new leader and process only that eight exposure (laughs) bit of film for like testing and stuff, I could see that making sense. Um, and I've shot some like twelve exposure Agfa black and white that I really liked. It was some cool stuff. I mean, and, yeah, what is it? Uh, I feel like Dan says Ektar SD gang. I'd be like either Ektar or Pro Image. You know, I, I like both of those. Um, and then Stephanie says just stop shooting thirty-five millimeter. Um, I. I don't think I ever could. I really like 35 millimeter. It's, um, I don't think it's a format I could ever give up on. Um, I like my 35 millimeter cameras, the way they feel. I like how the images come out of them. Um, and I do like that I get more images out of them than my, my GW 690. I really love that camera. The GW 690 is badass, but like, it just makes my wallet cry. Like, eight photos at a time is so brutal. (laughs) But they're so nice when you get the negatives back. Oh, man, I can't do half frame. That's too much. It's it's way too much. That's how I feel about a 24 exposure roll of 35 millimeter is it's too much because I'll shoot three photos and then I'm like, all right, I'm already ready to be done with this roll. Huh. Um, that's that. I think that's what I like so much about four by five is I could shoot one image and just be like, okay, I'll process this one, and I'm gonna push it two stops, and you know, like I have no limitations in that regard. Whereas when I'm stuck to a 36 exposure roll, like I can't vary the processing times at all, and I can't mm-hmm. process just the. I can process a strip, but I'll typically, you know, in the in the dark, open the back of the camera and just cut it where it's at. But I lose bits of, you know, I out of a 36 exposure roll, then I get, I lose probably eight exposures off of that roll by mm-hmm. doing that. 
um, by cutting the bits off. That's because every time you have to pull out a new leader and make a you know cut a little new leader in there. But this is also what makes photography so interesting is all the quirks and quirks that we develop in how we like to interact with film and use film in our creative practices. Um, you know, none of us do the same thing and all of us have different, um, different things that we're like persnickety about when it comes to, to using film. Yeah. And there's no like writer. I'm really opinionated. And so I think it rubs some people the wrong way. Uh, and, at the end of the day, I just like to voice like what I like to do. Yeah. And like none of what I'm ever saying is like, Hey, this is the only way to do photography. Um, that's never my point. And I'm never trying to like, I'm never trying to, to go that route, I guess, of things is tell you how to do your art. <laughs> well, yeah, like that's, a th- it, it's, it's very personal and people that are like very like this was the way they probably just need like more hugs or something or yeah just to like you know have someone hold them so they could just cry for the first time like (laughs) (laughs) it just like let let all that venom out you know and just someone tell them (laughs) it's not their fault it's okay (laughs) yeah but but I, i I think sometimes I come across the wrong way because I am so opinionated and I'll be like, Oh yeah, this way about, and I'm, I'm like so dead set in the way that I do certain things. Well, like one of the, one of the recent things is I won't recommend to a lot of people to buy uh, a whole lot of ready-made chemistries anymore. Like uh, Kodak Extol, I'd been all about Extol for a long time, and I no longer use Extol. I mix my own uh, D76, and I had been doing it for a bit. But uh, the Extol, I feel like the last few batches I got were like really inconsistent, mm. and that that's not what you want out of chemistry and stuff. Um, all of my chemistry is from like 2018. <laughs> is it powdered? Um, no, it's like the Kodak, like HC 110. Ah, uh, it's like probably still good. Stuff. Is it open? Yeah. Well, it was opened. Um, I'm not sure if it's, I haven't looked at it. It lives under my bathroom sink right now. It may um, or may not be all right. It's probably not all right. So I know that like when I get the dark room, I'm going to have to like do a big chemical reset. And I don't even remember. It's been so long since I've like printed anything. I don't even remember how to do it. Like I remember, like the, oh, you'll you'll remember. It's easy enough. I had it all nailed down, where it's just like I didn't even have to think about like the the chemicals and stuff because I just like knew how much to, like pour in and like the times and stuff. And now I can't remember a fucking thing. If you buy um, metal, hydroquinone, sodium sulfite, borax, and potassium bromide, you will have and a gram scale you will have the ability to make your own homemade D76 or Dectol. And you could make it in as big or small of a batch as you want. Uh, and it lasts, you know, some, I tested this out with some old hydroquinone, metal, and uh, sodium sulfite. The only one that I couldn't get that was old was borax. Because um, chemistry will come into seawood from time to time, and, and I've, I get offered things from people. And so I mixed them up, and one of the uh, things is sodium sulfide. It was the oldest 
packaging and it was 1970s. That's wild, and it still it, it still worked. So once those chemistries are put together is when they start uh, going bad. What's the probability of getting in a no-fly list if you buy all of those things online? <laughs> I, I, I'm just teasing. Not high. <laughs> they're, I remember talking with the Project Barbatype guys, though, that, that do, like, the, the tintypes. Um, and they they had some trouble flying with like the chemicals that they were having to buy because they were using um, the cyanide method for developing yeah. tintypes. Yeah, those guys that, were that, fucking funny. That um, makes sense, yeah. And uh, Yak Yakubova Studio says, this is the first online film photography meetup space I've attended. I miss this feeling of a community, the inside jokes, common gripes, common knowledge base. I feel like my heart is being soothed. Well, that's very sweet. Yeah, that's very sweet. My Man, chat froze again. I, I have no chat. Oz, I got you covered. Well, if anything comes up, I'll make sure that you hear the, it. The last thing in my chat is uh, Stephanie saying, I feel you, dude. Home is a very cozy prison sometimes. Oh, that, and I that's want... a lot. What's yeah, that? yeah, it was a while ago. That's when it stopped updating. Huh. Um, and I, I do agree with that, that uh, home can feel that way sometimes and that just going for a walk sometimes maybe is a good idea. I did that today in the middle of working because I was like, I can't be here anymore. I can't, I can't be here. And I, I went for a walk just a half mile around the block. What, what phone do you have right now? An iPhone? Yeah, well, but which one? It's like an iPhone 5. Oh, shit, man. Okay, we're going to get you a new phone. No, I, I like this phone. I'm all about using things until they die. All right, that's fair. Well, we we can find you like an iPhone SE. It's like it looks the same as an iPhone five, but it's like an iPhone seven inside of the gutty work. Is my is my phone glitching out other than the chat? No, it's it's fine. But I'm just you know, okay. <laughs> so want to help a dude out, you know? <laughs> I I don't like technology. I really don't. Yeah. I work with technology all the time and I have like a love hate with it. Um, Cause I find it frustrating and divisive. Um, like I, I got my booster shot on the weekend and I went to the, the booster farm as I'll call it. Cause it was just like, it, it was at the Vancouver Convention Center, which is like this huge convention space downtown. And like, it took us an hour just to get through the queue. Like they made us walk all through the whole fucking building. Cause there's two different convention centers. There's the old one and the new one. And so like, it was at the old one, but they made us like walk down the walkway almost all the way to the new one and then loop us back around and then queue us and everything again. And there's probably like, I don't know, seven, 800 people in, in like the queue with me. And then they just kept adding more on the back end of it. But the thing that was super weird to me was through like most of the line, everyone's just like this, just, just scrolling away. And it was causing like interruptions to the line because like the line would start moving, but someone's just like so deep into like Angry Birds or whatever the shit kids play today. Um, <laughs> that they it, didn't is solitaire them. not cool anymore? 
No, well, I mean, <laughs> Solitaire probably hasn't been cool since like Windows ninety five. Oh. <laughs> My mom loves I li- Solitaire. I like Solitaire. <laughs> I like Solitaire a lot. Uh, but it was just if it was weird to just see everyone in these like little little bubbles, like you know, I. Did they did they talk to one another? Like I just to, no. to, as an example, I went to get um, I went to get a COVID test the other day, and I had to go at six in the morning in order to get it. Uh, and I did was you waiting. Get the, the nose swizzle or the gargle or the nose swizzle, the just the little swizzle or like the deep brain deep in- deep brain swizzle. <sighs> oh. And, and, uh, but, but my point behind it was that I was the first one in line. And then the next guy was this, this guy was 83 and he told me all these amazing stories of he was in the Korean war and then he worked all in technology and all kinds of stuff and how he was going to get tested so he could go see his wife who had fallen and hurt her leg and had to be in a rehabilitation thing in the hospital and they wouldn't let him go unless he was tested. And, um, but my point behind it was I could have easily just like watched Netflix on my phone or like done whatever, (laughs) you know, and instead I chose to talk to this guy and I, I'm glad I did. I'm really glad that I did. Um, I think if you, you feel like you want to go on your phone, try something else. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. And it's like, you know, I, I picked up my phone a couple of times because, like, well, I'm there for an hour, so it's like I get a text or whatever, so it's like I'll look at the text, but it's like I didn't really feel super inclined to, like, stand there the whole time staring at my fucking phone because I'm mad at Instagram and, you know, I don't really want to need social media, and I also don't want to, like, contribute to my neck hump getting more humpier. <laughs> You know, that that's a thing they call a tech neck now. Where it's like, you know, people that look down too much get like his fucking hump on the back of their neck. Huh. And it used to like it it affect artists a lot back in the day too, because like if you're drawing a lot all the time or you're like, you know, painting or things like that, you're crouched and like, you know, we all have notoriously bad posture, so it all contributes to it. But now in the digital age, it's it's you know, more pervasive with people that use their, their phones all the time. So tech neck. I, I, I try to like always have my watch on so that I have no excuse when it comes to the phone. If I'm like out someplace, I can look at my watch to check the time and don't have to get my phone out. I'm trying to be a little bit more <laughs> conscious of it, but there's times, there's times at the end of the day or, you know, just throughout the day, like if I'm developing where I'm like severely bored and I'm by myself at home. So I'll go on Instagram or I'll, you know, go online. And... Well, you know, it's but, funny you bring up the watch thing. Cause I've noticed that with some other photographers too, is that there's an interesting connection between, you know, analog photographers and people who are watch heads. But, um, I kind of like the, the feeling of um of an analog watch um it just um it's kind of nice like i sure i could look and see what time it is on here but it's it's nice to you know have have a watch and um since i'm 1999 man (laughs) 1999 casio that's wild um (laughs) 
since moving back to Vancouver, um, I, uh, one of my pals, actually the dude that made the intro track for this season, uh, he's a huge watch head and, uh, he, uh, he got me back into watches, which has been, um, a bit expensive. I haven't gone like super crazy with it, but, um, you know, I got like a small, a small spattering of, of analog watches. Um, you know, one of them I've had for, for ages, like this was, this one was my first, um, this was my first fancy watch I ever bought for myself. Um, nice. it was a Nixon, it's called the player and, uh, it's got a real diamond in it, which, you know, makes it seem really cool. Um, but I really like, I know, it. I know nothing about watches. Um, I don't really know anything about watches either. I just like get things cause they're pretty. Um, and this one was pretty because I used to be obsessed with this like skateboard company in Vancouver called red dragon. And that's their like logo in the bottom corner there. And this was, um, a partnership that they did with, uh, with Nixon fucking, oh man, like 2006, 2005. Cause I'm that old. Um, yeah. So this was one of the first fancy watches Merlin ever bought for himself. Um, and then this one was an interesting one. This was my 40th birthday present, which, uh, was just this December. Um, and is it green? Is the, uh, it's green. Yeah. So it's got like a, like green face. Ooh. And, uh, I like it. It's a, a bronze body. Um, it's called the, uh, the Oris big crown date pointer. And, um, this is like the first big boy watch that I've ever bought for myself. Um, and it was just kind of like a 40 was a weird one for me. Cause, um, I never expected making it past 25 let alone getting to 40 and uh i have no idea what i'm doing uh, <laughs> right now with like my life or my time um and i i still deeply struggle with like mental illness as much as i did when i was in my 20s um and yeah so this was sort of like a uh happy 40th slash you haven't offed yourself yet present to sort of commemorate four decades of whatever the fuck this is. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of trippy. I, I enjoyed, uh, that new matrix movie. I haven't seen it yet. How was it? It was uh, good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I know some people who didn't, but the majority of people seem to have enjoyed it. Um, and I like that just, I like thinking about like, what, what is this? You know what I mean? And questioning those things. Um, I have a great book on that topic. Have you read this one? What is that one? How, How to, to change, change your mind. Is that possible? Yes. With psilocybin. Oh, I mean, I do like drugs. Bilish. But I, 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 I hesitate to call it that. 
I hesitate to lump it in the same category as like taking heroin or you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) (laughs) so that's an interesting comment. I, um, I got a doctor for the first time, um, in, oh shit. It's probably been at least 15 years since I've had my, like my own GP. Um, and I needed a doctor because, um, I had a psychiatrist in Toronto after the car accident who prescribed me all of these pills that help my damaged brain do brainy stuff now. And I didn't believe that they were actually making a difference. And I didn't find a doctor when I first moved here. So I ran out of that prescriptions or prescriptions and was just like, eh, I don't really need them. And turns out I do actually really need them. (laughs) Um, you know, I didn't have them for like almost five months and it, um, I was, I was starting to really slip backwards into like having like where my brain was broken like it was after the car accident um so i have a a gp now and just as of yesterday and so he was doing his intake with me and um one of the most hilarious questions was um you know do you do drugs (laughs) it's just like i know that we need to be honest here and he's just like yeah you know do you do cocaine or meth and i'm like well, I mean, I am on Ritalin, various sorts, so I guess technically, like, I do do meth. And he's like, no, not doctor meth. Do you do street meth? <laughs> and I like that differentiation between doctor meth good, street meth bad. <laughs> my my therapist totally does not condone uh, microdosing. Oh, shit. But she's also not against it. She just... She does. She lies kind of somewhere in the in-between where she's like, I can't tell you to do that. Um, but I think microdosing psilocybin is a lot different than a lot of other substances in the abilities that it has to rewire your brain and to help you make conscious uh, changes and decisions in within your life that affect you positively and not only affect you positively, but that they... Um, how do I put it? They affect you positively, but they affect your outlook of things in a positive way, too. Yeah, like, psilocybin has been proven so much to have, like, so many good qualities about it. Um, you know, it, it helps with, like, a plethora of things, like, you know, anxiety, depression, um, and, and also, like, psychedelics are fairly helpful too like i I remember um reading an interesting article about steve jobs who for as much as everyone sucks his dick he was also a monumental piece of shit um so don't forget that kids um you know he was talented at milking other people's talents um but i did like this quip from uh an interview he did uh, where he was trying to convince Bill Gates that he needed to do psychedelics to up his game. Because <laughs> he's just like, dude, I went and I dropped a whole bunch of acid and it's made me such a better executive. 
<laughs> and so he was trying to convince Bill Gates. He's like, you need to do some mushrooms or you need to do some like LSD. Do some drugs, Bill. You need to do drugs. And uh, I don't disagree with um, Steve Apple on that one. Um, they can help. I, th I, I think it would help a lot of people. And I think also it would help uh, a lot of people in the sense of if you actually do a trip, especially yeah. a, her a heroic dose, that's my favorite. But, um, but for if you do an actual trip and lose control a little bit, I think it's good for you to be out of control and to accept it sometimes. Because I think we feel out of control in our lives sometimes and we try to do everything we can to correct it instead of just sitting back and being like, okay, I'm here for the ride. <laughs> well, and, and I think like, that's a really interesting point because um, we have such a weird relationship as humans of needing to control. And um, the really kind of harsh reality, I guess, is that uh, we aren't in control of much of anything, really. Um, but we like clutch on to this idea of like, you know, these little things that we think we could control and they kind of drive us insane. So it's like, sometimes it's, it's, it's nice to just be able to let go of that and just, you know, be just ex like, just live, experience something. Um, what's been one of the more interesting trips you've ever been on? Like a physical trip? Because living in Brazil was pretty cool. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, on the topics of psychedelics, um, you know, what, what's been... Uh, a, more... a seven and a half gram mushroom trip by myself in my house. Oh, wow. What happened by, on that trip? By, by far. Uh, I just got so frightened that I had to give up control, and I've given up control since, and it's been a smoother ride. Hmm. <laughs> It made me realize how much I'm I'm powerless against and how much I have zero control over, uh, other than my perspective. I don't even know if I can fully control my choices sometimes, you know what I mean? Well, we are humans, and impulse control is a, a hard thing at the best of times. So yeah, but you could you could you could alter your perspective on on where you sit in that regard and not be harsh on yourself. Or there's so many different things that are perspective based. So I think it helped me a lot with that. That's true. So this wasn't my most interesting trip, but I do. That wasn't have... my most interesting, by the way. That was just one of the m most impactful. I've okay. had a number of others that have been you know, kind of wild, but. So I, I have something to confess about Quarantine Roids, the, my latest book. Um, this started because of mushrooms. <laughs> um, I was quarantining after San Francisco and um, on day two of me being isolated at home, a friend of mine came to drop off some groceries because um, I wasn't able to go anywhere because I was isolated. And uh, then was like, would you like to do some distanced mushrooms? <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, yo, um, 
we could just do it on your porch and we can sit six feet apart from each other and just, you know, do it. So, um, I, we had some, some tea and, um, as I was sitting there in my Ikea chair, uh, like one of those Ikea loungers on my porch, the trees started looking really fucking amazing. And I'm like, I need to take a picture of this. And that was the first picture in the book. Um, what the Polaroid didn't capture was how the tree was like kind of eating itself. <laughs> it's kind of like moving. I, I, I didn't capture that. Um, and then the second picture, this balloon was fucking with me. I, I shit you not. I was so mad at this balloon. So in Toronto, I lived in a back alleyway. And um, it was like, and the weirdest thing too, it was a back alleyway in one of the busiest streets in Toronto. And I had left my house unlocked multiple times because like I have a terrible memory, which has been even worse since the car accident. But I left my house unlocked for seven days once and no one went in it because it's in a fucking alleyway. Like, you know, no one, no one goes back there. But when we were drinking our tea and listening to music and talking about like the benefits of communism or whatever, um, this balloon bounced down the alleyway and stopped directly in front of my stairs. And it just was like there and it was just bouncing. It was just sitting there bouncing at the, like the bottom of my stairs. And I was just like, what the shit? Do you see this man? And he's like, yeah, what's, what is that balloon doing? And so I was like, I need to take a picture of this balloon. And so I run in to grab my, my Polaroid. And as soon as I came out with the camera, it starts bouncing down the laneway. I'm like, you son of a bitch, you were there for so long. Why are you running away now? So the picture of that balloon is me chasing the balloon down the alleyway, trying to get a picture of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the weirdest one though was uh, doing mushrooms with my ex-wife and her best friend. Uh, I don't know, not too long before we ended up separating. Um, we used to live downtown Kamloops and um, we had a bunch of tea and I was just not feeling the vibe of being at home. And I just, in my mind, I was like, I need a soda from 7-Eleven. The 7-Eleven was a couple blocks away from the house. And she was like, no, you need to stay here with us. And her friend's like, no, let him go on his journey. And I was like, yep, I'm going to 7-Eleven. And I got like a block away from 7-Eleven. And you know, sometimes like when you're in that space and you see something, you're just like, no, no, yeah, we're not going there. You just, you can see it and you're just like, no, you don't even want to get but close to it. For, for, for myself, the no means yes, because you need to go confront what you're uncomfortable with. There was just, it wasn't that I was uncomfortable. It was just like a, it was a bad feeling. And I was just like, Something about the 7-Eleven right now is just, I don't want to go there. So I ended up wandering downtown Kamloops and that was really fucking weird. Cause like unbeknownst to me that week, um, the art gallery of Kamloops was doing this really big installation on multiple buildings where they were projecting video art on the sides of buildings. So I'm like walking down the street in front of this gelato place and I look up and there's this like 65 foot huge 
Asian man's head looking down at me smiling. <laughs> yeah, when when you're in that space, you're just like, what the fuck is going on right now? Why is this man smiling at me? And like this there was this beautiful piano music and I didn't believe it was really happening. So it's like I FaceTimed um, you know, my, my ex-wife being like, Do you see this or am I imagining this and her friend was like what is that man doing on the building and it was kind of trippy and then i realized i was standing in front of a gelato place so i bought gelato instead of soda um even though i didn't want it um and then i ended up <laughs> i felt unsafe and so i ended up the safest place in that moment um was the police station <laughs> There was this park bench in front of the police station. So I just sat there with my melting gelato in front of the police station. And I phoned an old friend that lived in San Diego. And we talked for like an hour while my, well, my fucking gelato melted. Um, and then I went home with my melted gelato still. Put it in the freezer when I got home. Because I was like, I should probably eat that. And uh, found it when we were moving out of the house. I was just like, oh yeah fucking mushroom gelato um <laughs> nothing really profound but i thought it was super weird that i felt the safest place on a head full of drugs was like in front of the police station i for myself i think the last uh two or three years of of, of psilocybin that i had used was uh intentional oh uh, so going into it with the intent of changing my mind. Um, and I think that it, it had profound impacts and has helped me a lot to realize a number of things about myself. Um, I'm not stating that I'm like somehow like better off or cured or something, but it just changed my perspective a lot and my ability to um, care for myself. That's an interesting approach to it because I never thought about um, challenging it that way and just think, like going into it. I think that yeah, it's it's a, a good way to do it, especially with microdosing. But ending, maybe doing microdosing for a while, and then if you felt safe enough, doing a trip. I, I do. I do like. It's been a while since I've been been on a good trip. Um, I got I gotta go here in oh, a shit. little bit. By the way, I, I need to eat some food. Um, I mean, I still got a little bit, but it's six forty two. So yeah, we've been, we've been we've been going for, for a little bit. Here. Here. We've lost a few people. You did the you did the book uh, book announcement. Um, Not that I don't want to keep you know chatting and stuff, but I I gotta get some some food in me soon. No, you should do. You should go eat. Um, I miss you a lot. And oh, I miss you too. You know, it's it's, it's just weird. You know, the, the time we're in right now. Because I, I was talking with uh, with Alex from uh, from Policon, and um, it was just it was kind of crazy to realize that you know there's like some some of the Pola peeps and like other film people that I haven't seen since like 2019 and it, it kind of made me start thinking about like all the people that we've, we've become physically disconnected from um 
that we still stay in touch with. Like we haven't seen each other since like, you know, almost a year now, <clears throat> but we've talked frequently in, in that time. And, um, yeah, it's just, it was it's weird. been, t- it's been two years now, almost oh, two fuck. years. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Sorry. Like, I mean, um, it just feels like 2020 never really ended and we're just like, we're in 2020 yeah. part three now. Yeah, it's 100%. <laughs> it, yeah, it's like a pause button was hit, and fuck, that makes me even more bummed out now. Like, it's. Ah, I and, shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, and, like, I don't know. I was really looking forward to possibly going to Policon Bay Area in, in March. Um, they're not doing that this year? They're not? Oh, no, are they? No, they, 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 are, they are doing it. Um, but I am not going to go um, because just with Omicron and stuff, um, they've tightened up testing requirements when you're traveling across the border and stuff. And when I looked at how much it was going to cost me to do all the testing and like, you know, what if I did contract it while I was down there, you know, how much it would cost me to isolate and stuff. Um, it just, it, it wasn't economically reasonable to do it um so like as much as i would love to be able to go and see all the people that i love and miss um you know it just yeah that it's money that could be like better spent on the studio or whatever and um yeah this is weird i'm hoping this stuff relaxes by the time texas comes around because um that's what i'm hoping too yeah yeah. I'm hoping summer kills it off. Yeah. I mean, we should all just start drinking bleach. <laughs> or vaping it. Oh, the new thing now is drinking your pee. If you drink your pee, you'll be fine. Yeah, I was talking to somebody about that, and I was like, well, if I, so if I drink 80 gallons of it, would I be, like, immune forever? <laughs> there was this, like, funny TikTok. Is I there saw. an amount that I could drink that I could then fly? Um... I Is mean, anything possible with with drinking your urine? There's only one way to find out. Yeah, that's what that's the yeah. point behind the end of it is like you know, there's no way of knowing. You'd have to drink all eighty gallons to see if you're immune. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> drink drink eighty gallons of pee and start licking strangers and see what happens. As, as we lose like eight people <laughs> from the. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Like it's just it's it's weird. I, I saw this funny TikTok the other day where they were making fun of like Republicans a little bit. And it was just like, if you really want to upset those libtards out there, start dying. That'll really piss them off. <laughs> like just, you know, upset them with your life. Like, you know, choose not to do the thing that's so easy to do. That's free. And you could just do it and save your life. Cause you want to piss off those, those, uh, fucking liberals. And, it made me sad because I was just like, really, this is, this is like what we've, we've boiled down to now is like this just fight of the sides and people's lives are, are being affected and destroyed and altered forever. And well, they, they successfully distorted us with the media. And they took advantage of the fact that we weren't that far away from becoming uh, divided. 
No. There's there's a lot of people that held anger but but bit their tongue. And then I think when Trump became president, it gave them kind of the thumbs up to be like, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah, he he made hate cool and, and like accepted. And it's just like, you know, yeah, go out there and hate your Asian neighbor or like condemn your your gay person next door or like whatever because that's your right as an american and you know that's that's what freedom earns you and um unfortunately though that has steeped all over the place and um we have trump people here on this side of the border and um i don't know just it's just so easy don't be a dick. Just be considerate of, of other people. Like, you know? Yeah, just stop for like, two seconds and remember that that person you're about to hate on is somebody's mom, somebody's grandma, somebody's sister, somebody's brother, or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Have empathy. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the day, everybody wants to eat and take care of their family and have shelter and stuff. That You know what I mean? We're not that fundamentally different, even if we have huge uh, differences of opinion. Um, and that's why I don't really identify as anything like Republican or Democrat or liberal or any of those things because I I just I feel like that why put us all into these finite little groups and stuff I, and I think that things are much more variable than that if you really like broke it down you know but people are just like divided and if you're not with my people well then you're you're not my people fuck off get out of here and I don't. I'd, I'd much rather hear why you feel the way you feel. You know what I mean? Or I think people's opinions are valid, even if it's a shitty opinion. Like, that's that's your opinion. You're voicing your opinion. And I don't think it's up to me to judge you, to say anything to you, to spit more hate into the world. What good does any of that do? You know what I mean? But it gets your opinion out there. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I think about the... Um infallible words of Corbin Dallas I identify as a meat popsicle <laughs> yeah it's, just, it's about that's about right yeah but yeah like you know Dan I'm, says I'm, it's so easy to just not be a shitty person and it is it's so easy to not be a shitty person but it's also easy to be a monstrous piece of human garbage and yeah, I think the the scary point is when you got a bunch of people running around thinking that their side is perfect and everything. When in in reality, we're all just so human and stuff, and like just cut everybody a little bit of a break. Yeah, we're know. all just fleshy bags of meat that have no idea what the hell we're doing. That were put here by people that had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> And everybody forgets that you. Everybody forgets that they're capable of evil the same way. You know, if you think that person's so evil, and you've got this like hatred about it, you know, there's evil yeah. re residing within that. It was yeah. It's interesting when yeah, like that shoot that I did this week was in a hotel in downtown Vancouver that I haven't been to since. Like 2015. And I can still hear you, by the way. That's <laughs> no problem. The last time I was there, um, it was a work function. Um, one of our 
um, like senior managers was schmoozing a partner and I was brought in to like, you know, answer technical questions for this guy. And as soon as I sat down before even ordering a drink or anything, shortly after I was introduced, this guy asks me, so what is your background? And not in a way where he's like asking like, oh, what, what are my like technical accreditations or whatever that, you know, make me valuable to this conversation. Um, I could tell he was asking like, you know, what was my ethnic background? And I w wasn't super pleased about that moment. I'm like, I'm assuming you're asking what my education is. He's like, oh yes, yes, of course. You know, what, uh, what is your technical background? And, uh. I told him, I'm like, I'm also a Canadian, you know, born and raised here. And, you know, I did hear your Taliban jokes before I sat down and, uh, you know, have no affiliation to terrorists or anything whatsoever. But, um, you know, I wouldn't mind burning your house to the ground at some point, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't know. I wish we could just all be nicer to each other. Um before shit gets even weirder. Yeah, and let somebody have a difference of opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think we need to we need to allow for that. Yeah, differences of opinions are, are important. Um, but also, like the thing with opinions too. Like I always remember something that an old boss told me, and uh, he said, "Opinions are like assholes. Everyone has one, and they think theirs doesn't stink." And, um, you know, it, it's, it's important to have an opinion, but it's also important to be open-minded, to hear what other people, like the information other people have to share and, uh, the ideas that other people have. Um, cause even if they contradict your own ideas, um, you know, you can possibly glean, um, something from, from that, um, or they could glean something from you. Or like, you know, when you're talking about you were in line for the test and you learned about that old man's past and how he was like there to, uh, to see his wife, like, you know, connecting with people, it changes things. And like, you know, people, people are receptive to, to being heard and to sharing. And, um, yeah, that was the thing I found really interesting driving through the Midwest was um, I would talk to these strangers, like literal strangers that I just met on the side of the road. And, you know, just by being kind and spending a few minutes with them, they were sharing these like intimate stories of their lives and stuff. And it was like super fascinating to like hear um, these, these stories of strangers. Um, and it just made me so curious because like, you know, as much as people condemn and shit on all these other people for being different and stuff, you have no idea the kinds of lives people have lived, the things that they've experienced. And, um, you know, hearing just a small subset of stories just like made me so curious of like, you know, well, if these people had these like wild, vivid stories, what are other people's stories like, you know? What, what other interesting shit has happened out there that will die with these people because no one wants to listen to them share their story or anything like, 
It's yeah. a, that, that, that whole don't judge a book by its cover and stuff, you know, like, and I, you know, hold my own book here and it's got a cover and stuff. But I think that there's two sides to that because I obviously chose that cover for a reason. And I think like uh, with clothes, like I'll choose a certain outfit for a reason because I want to look that way on that day or whatever, you know? Yeah. So there is a degree of we put out something, but I think that it's important to remain open-minded because like you said, the people have such vastly different backgrounds. And just because let's say that person looks nice today or whatever, we can't assume anything about them at all. They could be living in their car and they're just, they got dressed up today because they got a job interview Yeah, or whatever. You know what I mean? There could, there's so many variables and people's upbringings. And like you said, you moved all the time. Um, or moved every four years. Uh, was that from when you were younger? Um, yeah. Your, fam- your family moved a lot? Yeah, my, my mom would um, have, have issues with her work, which would um, force us to have to move a, a bunch. Um, mostly because of racism. Like, you know, because she's Filipino. And, um, you know, contrary to popular belief, uh, Canada is was and is still very much a very racist country um in in some ways i personally believe more so than than the states um we're just not as overt with it um but because of racial issues um uh she would end up having situations with work where she would have to like we would have to leave and go to a different town for her to continue working as a nurse um, because like the predominantly white people, um, didn't take too kindly to, um, a Filipino lady outshining them when, you know, their exposure and experience with Filipinos for the most part at that time were mail order brides. Um, so they were just kind of like, you know, why are you here being a nurse? Like, shouldn't you be like making egg rolls and like pumping babies out or something at home? Um, yeah, that kind of... S- like it the first move wasn't because of that though the first move was um because they didn't want my brothers and i to grow up to become like crooks or drug dealers in the big city of calgary um so we moved from calgary to this like tiny little mountain town with like 4500 people where we were like the second colored family in town um you know prior to us moving there there was one other um multiracial family um i think the guy's name was joe i can't remember his wife's name she was a mail order bride from the philippines um so everyone assumed when they met my mom that you know she was also that and would ask my father how much they paid for my mom which um that's an interesting cocktail question um, yeah, it didn't really sit well with her, but then after we left Calgary, um, that kind of started like the four year, four year cycle. Um, I kind of wonder sometimes like what things would have been like if we just stayed in Calgary. Um, but also I would have never become the person that I am now had it not been for, oh, um, had, had it not been for, um, 
you know, all of the things that had happened in my past, good or bad. So, um, you know, I celebrate all the things, dark and light. It all shapes us into who we are now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but on that bombshell, you should go have some dinner. <laughs> yeah. It's been a pleasure chatting, and thanks to everybody who tuned in. Um, the two individuals who won books, I will be in contact tomorrow about getting you your books. I think I'm going to somewhat tune out for tonight. Um, but thanks for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Of course, man. Like, I, I just got to gotta say it. I love you, Merlin. I love You're you. You're great too. people. Um, You're fantastic people, Dave. You're one of my favorite people. We'll be in touch, I'm sure. We will be. And um, joining me next week is uh, I Feel Like Dan, a.k.a. Daniel Herrera, I believe. Oh, the, I the gentleman who won the book? G the gentleman who won the book is going to be my guest next week. Um, nice. Yeah, I, big thanks to him because originally I was uh, going to be having a guest from Italy joining me, but there's been some stuff that happened with that. So um, Dan came in as a pinch hitter, and I'm super stoked to talk with him because we were already talking about um, getting him on an episode. Um, so you know, it'll be it'll be a lot of fun, and uh, you know. Dan, I appreciate you, Dave. I love you, man. And, um, you know, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you all next week. Stay safe out there. Take care. Okay. Right. See ya. Thanks, everybody. I appreciate you guys. Dan is sick as fuck. Congratulations to Dan and Brandy for winning the books. And, uh, you know, maybe I should do a book giveaway or something. But anyways, stay safe out there. Um, wash your hands, wear a mask, all that kind of shit. Okay, love you guys. Bye.